welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Hey, welcome adventurers to episode 86 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a special side quest all about Kyperium. This is just Patrick. And this is Teacher Ryan. And Teacher Ryan, I, I got to go out of my way here. Uh, thank you. I don't make a big deal of a birthday or anything, but uh, you were so kind as to send me some delicious, delicious coffee. Oh, yeah, not a problem. You know, you got to be awake and bright and ready for the day. And um, when I asked you what your favorite drink was, you were like, coffee? I was like, all right. So, uh, <laughs> Well, I beer. Went, well, <laughs> that's not what you told me. But uh, uh, well, e- either way, I went to a website and I found out, like, that there was a, a site that did nothing but coffee beans and sent them to you by mail. And uh, I picked two of the fan favorites from that batch and, uh, yeah, sent it your way. And I'm glad you uh, enjoyed it. What was it? What were the two flavors? I forget what I sent you. Well, we've got a big bag of the Sumatra Mandeling. Sumatra Mandeling. Okay. And, yeah, they, this this bag is as big as my head. And, the, like, these aren't those little, like, Dunkin' bags that you get in the store. These are literally four of them. And we have Tanzanian Peaberry. Okay. Which so, I'm I'm curious to find out. We've we've done uh, my wife and I last night. We did the Sumatra, and oh wow, wow, it is good. It's very good. Now it's it's whole bean, so I have the little grinder, mm-hmm. and you can set it for like espresso to fine grind or a medium grind, and and that really that's going to change the boldness of of the coffee. And I like it espresso, but my wife likes it a little more like a medium grind. So that's what we did last night. It's delicious. It's bold in flavor without the acidity. That's that you get with some coffees. Like it, it tends to be whenever I find a bold coffee, it's good, but man, it's acidic. Like you have one cup and you're like, oh well, no, no, this one, this gives you the flavor without that. Like you know the, how you get that like back at the throat. Like oh, I don't think I can do anymore. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could drink coffee because then I would uh, join you with that, but sadly I cannot. Well, let me set these bags over here. Yeah, no, one of these, you, you're not a caffeine guy. You know what? If they have a decaf on there of either of those, go for it. It's, oh, very good. Very good. Thank you. Thank you very much. That, it's uh, my that was pleasure. very kind of you. Uh, as we said a couple of episodes ago, King Scott and I both agreed if there's ever a game that you want, keep it under $10. You have to cover shipping. Uh, we will gladly send it your way. Oh. Well, that that's news to me. Thank you very See, much. We're very kind as well. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, we're ga- adventurers, we're gathered here today because we discovered a game over summer. I had a chance to play this game called Kyperium, K-U-I. I was calling it Kyperium or Quiperium. I wasn't sure. They said, no, it's just Kyperium. Yeah. So I got the chance to play this with one of the designers, Matt or Steve, and I don't even remember who it was. It was that long ago. But I finished playing, and I was like, Ryan, you got to play this thing. And, and then I was like, Addy, you got to play this thing. Scott, you got to play this thing. And I kept showing it to people because it is so much fun. We were having a blast with it. We had the opportunity to chat with the designers and make a side quest out of it. So th- that's what we're here for. Yeah, I'm kind of glad you gave me that invite, too. I was like, the name of this game sounds familiar. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm interested. Uh, if you recommend a game, I am going to go for it. Yeah, so you invited me over the summer, that's correct, over Tabletop Simulator. 
And we got to play a two-player game back before it was changed around a bit, but it was still great back then, too. Um, well, I guess that's a bit of a spoiler warning, but yeah, that's a, that's what I think of this game. I'll tell you what, how about we dive into how the game's played. I'll do a walkthrough, then we come back, you and I, let's give, the, I think, you know what, normally whenever we do a side quest like this, a preview episode, we say, well, this is really, this is a first impressions review. This is still a first impressions review, but I, you and I have played it three times. I think I've played it close to a dozen now. Like we have, we've played this one more than other preview games. So let's, let's give a walkthrough of what's going on in the game. We come back, you and I are going to give the 8-bit breakdown. Sounds good. Designed by Matt Kuzno and Steve Castle and coming to Kickstarter February 20th, 2023, Kyperium is a two-player sci-fi-themed game where you'll take the role of a corporation building a space station along the Kuiper asteroid belt with the goal of mining Kyperium. Doing so will help you gain discovery points to move up the discovery track, and the first player to reach the end of the discovery track wins the game. When you break this out of the box, you'll place a game board between the players. Now, the board's got a few generic worker placement spots in the center, and then a grid of slots on each player's side of the board. And each slot is the size of a card, and that's where you're going to be playing cards from your hand. Each player gets a player board with three robot meeples and draws four cards from a large shared deck. On a turn, you have a few options, but let's start with playing a card. You choose a card and you put it onto your side of the grid on the main board, and then you carry out its action. Simple. Now on the four corners of each card, you're going to find colors, and while it's not a requirement, it helps to have cards with the same color corners touching. Also, each card played has a small section at the top that shows some resource symbols or minor action symbols. This isn't for you. This is a worker placement spot for your opponent, and that's what the robot meeples are used for. One of the actions you can take on your turn is to place a robot. Now, note though, you don't get the resources from placing the worker. You have to wait until you do a recall action, taking back all of your workers that are on the board and collecting the resources from the locations that they're at. Finally, one of the generic spaces in the middle of the board allows you to discard a card from your play area, and in doing so, this is why the colors on the corners of your cards matter. You're going to look at each corner of the card that you're getting rid of and see how many other cards touching it have the same color corners. Maybe none in one corner, two in the next, two in the third, and one more in that fourth corner, adding up to five discovery points. The discovery track is essentially a race where you cash in those discovery points and you move that many spaces along the track. And again, the first player to reach the end wins. Now, we always make walkthroughs short just to give you a gist of the game. And in Kyperium, that means I didn't even touch on things like the synergy bonus cards that you unlock when discarding cards of certain colors, or that some cards in hand are particularly powerful, so they need to first be played face down at your space station before being played on a later turn. In any event, I hope this gives you a general idea of how Kyperium is going to play out when it hits your table. Let's get back to Teacher Ryan and give the 8-bit breakdown to Kyperium. Thank you for that walkthrough there, Patrick. So this is where we do the 8-bit breakdown of the game, starting with art and components and ending with was it fun. So we're going to start with art and components. Patrick, what did you think about that? Giving me the floor, art and components. All right, Ryan. Uh, okay, we we got a main board. 
uh, a couple player boards and a discovery track, along with a big old stack of cards, some robot meeples. Uh, they're laser cut, screen printed, looks like. Each card had its own art, which I thought was a nice touch. I thought the iconography was intuitive. I thought it was a colorful game. What with those corners needing to match up, they played around a little bit with color. Kind of reminded me... For a card game with a lot more going on, it reminded me a little bit of like Radlands as far as its presentation. All that said, you know, we played this on Tabletop Simulator, so I feel like we got a good sense of how it's going to look, but we didn't get to feel the game with our finger pads, right? We, you know, I'm excited to see how that board turns out on the table. I want to see how the cards feel. I think with the art and components, there's a little bit more for us to find out still. I agree. I'm looking forward to actually seeing the art up close and personal. It looks mm-hmm. like it, it looks like, and we'll find out later, uh, that there was a lot of different kinds of art in this game. There's the cards itself has a different kind of art than the main board that you're traveling on, the discovery track. I think they did the coloring really well. Uh, it's very easy to determine, especially those corners that you were just talking about, that they need to match up. So there's blue matches up with blue or yellow matches up with yellow. It's easy mm-hmm. to determine all of that. It's intuitive to play. The art and the components are nice. We haven't had it in physical form, but what I see on TTS has me wanting to see more. Agreed. Ryan, how about you take theme and immersion? Uh, we've got this concept where we're sort of racing the other players, weighing the strength of your card versus the worker placement spot that you're giving your opponent. We're trying to mine Kyperium. We're trading that in for discovery points to move up that discovery track. Uh, tell me, what do you think? Theme and immersion of Kyperium. Um... I mean, obviously, the theme is space. That is very, very apparent in this game. You are building out the same space station, but you have, like, your own side of the space station that you're trying to build out. And, yeah, you are using your components to go to an opponent's side and use what they have there. Uh, as far as the theme is concerned, or immersion is concerned, I'm not going to lie. I don't fully get it. So the whole idea is, yes, you're building the space station, and but the idea of you are sending out workers to your opponent's side that they're building to benefit from them, uh, it, that is the part that kind of, you know, loses me a little bit. It doesn't fully comprehend or make sense to me because I'm trying to think of that as though I was actually in a space station. And what am I doing? I'm going to an opponent's room that they built and getting something from there. I'm not 100% fully getting that, but I understand the whole uh, race along the track idea. But yeah, as far as immersion concerned, not 100% there, but the theme space, yes, I can tie, I can totally get that. I tried to look at it like it's a shared space station and the players who represent corporations competing to, to be the best at this, right? I looked at it like, well, we're building it together. Now, why I get to use your stuff, you get to use mine. Well, frankly, it's because mechanically it works out beautiful in the game, but it works out beautifully in the game. But as far as like the immersion of doing that, eh, okay, I get it. For me, the immersion came from the actual gameplay. Think of a game like Magic or the, uh, the aforementioned Radlands, the immersion that you get from a card game. Your brain gets focused on the mechanisms and what you're doing within the game, your strategy. And as a secondary, you eventually read a card like, uh, like the Wasteland Recycler. That was the card you played to your opponent's side of the board and it's just got four dead corners. Uh, that's, it's, oh, okay. So you're kind of sabotaging their side. Like there are some thematic elements, some flavor injected. Uh, but first and foremost, it is a card game. It's where do I put this? Why do I put it here? What's that going to trigger? You know what I mean? Your brain gets working that way. Immersion in the gameplay. Well, Pat, that brings us to our third segment, the complexity of the game. It is not complex. Uh, it's actually quite nice. 
there's only a few things to remember as far as the iconography is concerned. But aside mm-hmm. from that, it's mostly strategy. It's less complexity than that. You either place a card and you're trying to connect corners or you're placing a worker on your opponent's side of the board and then eventually recalling it. That's mm-hmm. pretty much it. Uh, as soon as you get, I feel like as soon as you get the iconography down, then you have it. So as I mentioned before, we, you, and you mentioned before as well, we played this about six months ago, uh, or last summer, some point in time, and they changed quite a bit by the time we got back to playing it recently. Yeah. And there was a lot of art change, component change, idea change, like where the placement of things on the board change. Mm-hmm. There was quite a bit of that, but as soon as we figured out what the iconography was, we jump right back into it as though we played it oh, well before. I look at it like a game that it doesn't have a lot of complexity. Learning the game, understanding how to play the game, it's actually very easy to understand. But uh, getting good at it, that's not complexity, that's depth. And I think that there's a lot here. I like I like my complex games, don't get me wrong, that, that have all that depth and whatnot. This packs that depth into an easy rule set. That's that's where I think the complexity comes in is understanding how to play well. Complexity as far as, is this going to be tough to learn? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Easy. Well, I guess that means you're going to start talking about the learning curve of the game. Sure. Bit number four, rulebook and learning curve. Rulebook, we're going to kind of gloss over. We learned this from the designer. Well, I learned from the designers. Then you learned it from me. Uh, we had the reference, and we had to reference it a couple of times. They, Whenever you play a game on TTS, they have a rulebook there that you can click through and read. And we had a couple of questions that were relatively easy and quick to come up with the answers for. Uh, the, the one thing that we're like, oh, the timing there is weird, and that's that's not exactly specified they said they're going to have an faq in the rule book so i trust that the rule book's going to be good the learning curve i taught this to i think four other people and literally no one had any questions after like turn two maybe the random what does this symbol mean again but like functioning within the rule set of the game that's come very easy to everyone that i've taught it to it's not a light game let me be clear about that this is a hobby board game it just doesn't have a very high barrier of entry as far as its rule set. What do you think, Ryan? The, the learning curve? Uh, you know, I kind of am bouncing off what uh, we talked about as far as complexity is concerned. It is not a complex game, and so I think, therefore, the learning curve of the game is pretty smooth. Again, all you have to really learn is the iconography and the three actions that you can take on a turn. I feel like anybody could totally understand that. Well, I'm mm-hmm. not going to say anybody because, you know, small kids. But I'm sure as soon as you understand what an icon means or what a placing a worker means, then this this game is very, very easy to just, like, figure out. And then at that point in time, just like you're saying, around turn two or three, you're going to start understanding how it goes. And you're going to start moving towards the strategy part of it. Yeah. Unless- how do I make it go well? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. And I think that's going to take us right into the meat of Kyperium, which, uh, you know what I found? There's a lot of meat in balancing the cards that you play versus the worker placement spot that you're giving the opponent and the colored corners for synergy bonuses. Like they're going to add a lot of crunch to those decisions. You can play a bomb card early. But it's probably going to give your opponent a great worker space. They're going to get to use at least a couple of times. That gives you the dis- this decision, like, is it worth it? Maybe I should hold off onto that card until I play it and then immediately jettison it for discovery points, get it off the board. Tons of meat in the card play. What do you think? That, you think you hit the nail on the head there. Yes, it's definitely – cards, I feel, are are balanced pretty well to the point where, like, if you play a strong card because it benefits you a lot once you play it, well, mm-hmm. that's good and all. But then you're also leaving a space open for your opponents because the card itself, if it's good for you, it's good for your opponent. 
And so you actually have to sit there and watch your opponent use this card over and over again until you finally get the ability to recall and score one of your cards. You really have to think about the timing of when you want to do that because you are also trying to balance how much Kyperium you have so that you are able to do so. Mm -hmm. You're trying to balance making sure that your opponent can't do what they want to do. So you're doing a lot of this kind of maneuverability on the board itself. But yeah, the meat itself is, as you just said it, you have to make sure that the timing is right because even though you want to do something that's really, really good for you, it's probably better to stall and wait a little bit so that mm -hmm. once you play that powerful card, the next move you do is possibly taking that card away from your opponent. I want to touch back a little bit on jettisoning a card. So whenever you recall your workers, if you have one in one of the generic spaces in the middle, it lets you jettison a card, count up the synergy bonuses for the corners that match colors, etc., and then you gain some some discovery points. That's how you're moving up the track. But I didn't mention this in the walkthrough. When you jettison a card, like if I get rid of a blue card for discovery points, I unlock the blue power, which has a, it basically an, an ability. Like for the rest of the game, if I play any blue cards from my hand, I get some sort of bonus. Maybe be a, a free Kyperium or a worker placement for free, right? These bonuses are unlockable for all four colors. Each color does something different. Both players have access to them. Uh, I have mine, you have yours. It's not like a, a race to see who's the first that can do blue. I bring it up because this adds a lot in terms of finding synergies and cards that work well together, creating little combos. I think if if I needed to sum up the meat of the game, it's it's really easy to say, well, the card play. Uh, but that's really it. It's not the cards because of what they do at face value, though. It's the cards because of all of the implications that accompany them. Where do you play it on your grid? What color corners does it have? How does that sync up with what's already in play and what you might want to play next? What worker placement spot does it give your opponent? How quick can you jettison it? What unlockability do you trigger for playing it? And on and on. That's a lot to consider. And frankly, that's really meaty, beefy, turkey e Tur other meat, turducken. It's turducken. <laughs> the tur what is the turducken of the game? <laughs> yeah, the, the, well, there you go. Bit number five, the turducken. Ryan, let's get right to bit number six, replayability and variability. All right, I'll take this one then. I can see this being played a lot. Now, don't get me wrong, it's the same deck of cards, but that's a pretty chunky deck of cards. Mm -hmm. And it depends on who gets it. Who, like, what combination of cards are you going to get? What setup your opponent's already going to have or what opponent setup you're already going to have? There's a lot of things to consider. And, you know, there's also uh, the science lab that you can place cards in. And so, like, you know, when do I place something there and then play it from there? There's going to be a lot of interconnectivity between all the different kinds of cards that there are. I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing how many different kinds of combos and things that I can make. Um, mm -hmm. As far as variability is concerned, I think this is one of the rare cases in my point of view where the replayability is higher than the variability. Now, mm -hmm. the replayability of this game is tremendous because there's so many different things that could happen. You could get a, quite a few different cards. Your opponent could be playing a completely different strategy. You could be playing like a red card game uh, in this round, but like in the next time you play, you could play like a blue card game because that's what you're mostly getting. There's a lot of differences uh, as far as what you could play and how you strategically play it. Mm -hmm. However, as far as variability is concerned, it's going to be the same cards. Um, the same kind of cards do the same kinds of things. So red cards is mostly about like attack or removing your opponent's Kyperium. Mm-hmm. So as far as variability is concerned, less so than the replayability. What do you think, Pat? 
I think you're right. Uh, and that's strange to say because that is a deck of like 50 cards and there's something like 30 unique cards within the deck. Uh, you see four in your opening hand. And considering the different colors, the different corners, the different abilities, it's like, oh man, every one of them has four different factors. This game's totally variable. But they are similar enough. The arc of play is I need to play a card. I need to place my workers on the most efficient spots my opponents provided me. I need to recall my workers and I need to score points. And that doesn't change. The only one variable that's like, okay, this is really game shaping is, uh, and I didn't mention this one in the walkthrough either because we keep our walkthroughs short at the start of play. Uh, you remember we each get the three bonus cards. Right, something that's a little rule breaking, a little game shaking, uh, kind of like a limit break. You know what I mean? It, it, this is significant, right? And when you hit a spot about a third of the way up the discovery track, you have to pick one of those three cards, and that is a unique to you ability that you can use moving forward. Usually a one shot deal. Uh, that's like one last thing to spice up the play and make it unique compared to others. But aside from that, yeah, the, the replayability is not a result of the, the tremendous number of variables, right? All that said, I'd love to see this game take off because I think it'd be really easy, not needed, but really easy to add like an alternate discovery board or maybe even like 15 card expansion booster packs that you can add to that shared deck that just do something a little different, a little goofy. Yeah, I really wanted to say that, Pat. Uh, I think it would be really, really nice, and it's definitely expandable with, like, the different kinds of boards. I, you know, you could make a, a board, you know, longer or shorter, or you can make it more, like, different kinds of spreads or, like, separations, like, you go up this track and out of, you can choose between three for tracks to go up and at a single point. I think that would right. be cool. And uh, a lot of uh, extra cards, uh, depending on what it is. I think, I think that would be amazing. You know what I could see doing is with that. And, and th this just struck me, Ryan, that discovery track. Okay. So you start on basically a singular line and there are a few spots where like it'll branch off in three places, but it eventually reconnects on that singular line. How cool would it be if that track was like that board was three times as big? And once you start, like you can go down a branch that never reconnects until the very end. And like one branch might give you uh like those bonus cards, the three bonus cards that you pick one. And that's your asymmetric ability. Maybe one track has two spots that do that, but it takes more points to reach the very end. And maybe another track gives you no bonuses at all, ever. But it's a little bit cheaper as far as like how many discovery points. I'm sure they thought about that. And, you know, it, it's the kind of thing that, I, oh, I want it. I agree. I agree. We should definitely talk to them about that later. We do like to talk a lot of good things about the games that we review. However, you know, we do have to put aside our differences and talk about some downsides. Mm -hmm. um, Patrick, did you have any downsides that you saw in this game? Uh, not many. Not many. There, uh, there was one game in the many, many, many games that I played where there was a, a runaway leader. Um, and by runaway, I don't mean like, oh, we could tell a third of the way in, but like towards the end, the, the most recent play that you and I had, we, I think we both kind of knew about four fifths of the way in that you had it on lockdown. Um, and you know, you, you played well, you earned it. That's, that's not a problem with the game. And it only happened once. So I don't think that it's going to be anything consistent. I'm not worried about it. Uh, it's a card game. So yeah, you're going to have an opening hand of four and you might not have as good an opening as your opponent. Sometimes that happens. Um, but honestly, for what this game is, what it sets out to do, I 
really don't have any complaints. If I had to pick one thing, uh, I suppose the number of implications that we're talking about surrounding playing just one card that can be caused for analysis paralysis. Um, like if you wanted to map out all the possible outcomes that, that you could take on a turn, which a turn should be about 10 or 20 seconds, you could try and start like overthinking it and turn the, your turn could become a commercial break, basically. <laughs> You know, there is potential for that, but I don't think that it's, I, I don't think that it's in the spirit of the game. I think most players are going to be like, okay, it takes about 10, 20 seconds. This is a good play. I'm doing it. What about you? Downsides to Kyperium. Well, I believe this is also a, a part downside to you because last game we played, you did mention it and I, I, I really agree, but it has to do with how you spend your actions. Is it beneficial for you or is it just maintenance? You said mm. this, you said this in our last, uh, our last episode about obsession. So if you haven't heard that episode, go back to episode 85 and that's obsession. But in this one, the science lab is, I, I think, something where you have a card that you are forced to play from your science lab. So what do you have to do? You have to spend one entire turn to set that card down into your science lab. So. You did nothing really beneficial other than needing to do that so that you can actually play the card. Granted, the card is good, but it's also one of those situations where if the card is really good, then it's beneficial for your opponent as well. Mm -hmm. So I feel like all of the cards that require you to play from the science lab, I I personally feel like it should be optional, um, all of those. Um, but there's also like... There are some actions that you can take, or when you recall a worker, you can draw cards, or you can play it to your lab. Uh, aside from that, though, there is an entire turn that you can take where it's just discard your entire hand and then draw back to four cards. So that is another action where it's, I, I feel like, potentially semi-maintenance. Granted, it's going to be required because you need cards to be able to play. So sure. you, you have to spend a, a turn to do so. I don't know. Maybe it could have been something like uh, every turn you draw a card. Or... Uh, As opposed to spending the action. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, though. I'm sure the designers have playtested this enough times to determine that that was probably the best move is to not have it draw one card uh, at the beginning of every turn and instead make it an action to refill your hand back up to four. There is the benefit of, like, if you're refilling to four, that is a one-shot four new options instead of, like, a slow drip of here's an option, here's an option each. Like, like if I'm just about on bust on my hand and, like, okay, I, I, need, some, I need some things to work with, if the top two cards both suck for me man that is two more turns whereas this way it's like okay a one shot pitch what you got take four new like there's some benefit there too but you're right it there there are times where it feels like man this is i'm doing this because i have to this turn and oh that's tough because every turn matters in kyperium it really does it really does by the time you get back to a turn where you can actually do something your opponent has already uh, recalled and caused one of your workers to go back to your hand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> frustrating. <laughs> it, it is frustrating, and trust me, that's because it happened to me like three times in our last game, but yeah. <laughs> well, you crushed me. That was the runaway. I didn't crush you. So, all right. <sighs> Going back to that game, I was in the lead for almost of the game, most of the game. But then, like, we got to the part where you have to have a value of four discovery. Yeah. Points. To hop to the next then, spot on the track five at the end, we both made it to the four. Eventually you got to the point where you caught up and you made it to the four as well. But then I got to the five, uh, the next turn. And that was the end of the game. So it wasn't neck and neck, but you did end up getting really, really close as well. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right. Let's bring it on home. Let's talk. Was it fun? And who's it for? We always like to finish on bit number eight. You got the floor. I think it was fun. 
It was definitely fun. I'm not necessarily a two-player battler kind of gamer. Seven Wonder Duel is good, but aside from that and like Magic the Gathering, which I used to play a long time ago, two-player games where it's back and forth, none of them have really, really appealed to me for mm-hmm. quite some time since Seven Wonders Duel. I think this one might get me... It, it has me pumped. Let's put it that way. I, I definitely okay. do. I definitely do like the idea of this game. If I want it to stay in my collection, you know, some different kinds of discovery tracks or you know, additional cards sounds really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, that's to you know keep my interest in the game. But it is fun regardless. How about you, Pat? I'm a day one backer. Uh, I'll be blunt. Uh, so uh, well, so long as the price is reasonable. Yeah, I want this game in my house, Ryan. Uh, I thought it was remarkable. Um, there's moments where you feel really, really clever. They give you all the tools to find little interactions uh, that make you feel like you've figured out something really special. And there's moments where you get to do something really big and sweet. Every game, there's going to be at least a few times where you're like, I place this card here, which triggers this blue upgrade ability, which lets me bump this worker over, you know, off that spot. Like there are turns where you do so much that you had to like really plan to make it happen. And it's so satisfying. I will have this game. I might even hit up the designer, see if I can't get a prototype early because I love it a lot. Now, who's it for? Heads up card game players, obviously, like the competitive one-on-one card game. Sure, that that's the obvious. But honestly, if you enjoy a good thematic Euro uh, and, and immersive in the mechanisms of the game, if your game day often consists of two, you and a spouse, you and a buddy, or or like Scott and I, we go to the comic shop every Thursday and, you know, we just play our next review games, but sometimes Scott isn't there or I'm waiting for him and I'm playing games with Tom or someone else. And it's just two of us. This is going to be a go-to game for us. So what you're saying is this game is fun for you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. This, this game has it all. I think like, um, it has a racing element. It has abstract puzzler when it comes to the corners of the cards. It has strategy. It has a lot of the things that hit a lot of bells for a lot of people. So who is this game for? I think it's pretty much fun for everyone. I, I, I suggest give it a shot. I, I can't narrow it down to a specific one person that this game would be good for because of what it has. So The Venn diagram of who's going to enjoy it has a really go. big space in the middle. So I this, think most gamers are going to like it. So this is, this is like a turducken kind of fun. <laughs> adventures enough with us we got steve we got matt let's get right let's let's hop over to the uh what do we have a separate part of the studio for this no we need a segue because we got matt and we got steve let's get it on and are you really gonna play let's get it on from marvin gay in there (laughs) no 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 well ryan here we are we did it. We did it. We're here. <laughs> Adventurers, we're really glad to have Matt Cousineau and Steve... Castle. I knew it. It just had the name underneath and it threw me off. I was wondering <laughs> if it was Castle or Cassel or something like that. Cassel. I, you know, I, I don't like mm. to tell people because there's like a small percentage of people who uh, say Cassel. And mm. I, feel, I feel like those are my people. <laughs> so I, I like them to reveal themselves to me. So, Matt, Steve, we're so glad that you guys have joined us today. Uh, let's start here. We're going to jump right into some game talk. That's cool with you guys. Amazing. For sure. All right. Ryan, we gave the whole lowdown on Kyperium, our thoughts about it. Let's learn a little bit about the guys behind the game. 
you guys must have been gamers first, right? This wasn't, uh, you know what, I just decided one day I was going to design a board game. I want to hear the origin story. Why don't we start with, uh, Steve, why don't we start with you? Tell us a little bit about who you are as a gamer. What got you into it? And then what flipped the switch? Matt, same thing with you, but you got to you gotta wait until Steve gets the floor first here. Well, I uh, appreciate the honor. Age before <laughs> uh, beauty. Yeah, for me. Exactly. My, that was my thought. For me, uh, that moment came really early. Uh, I still vividly remember being four years old and my dad bringing home the new Atari system and how that brought like the whole neighborhood of all the kids. All of a sudden I was the coolest kid instead of just being the youngest. And uh, (laughs) ever since that moment, I was heavy into games. Uh, I got into a lot of CCG type games, uh, playing in tournaments and stuff. And, you know, getting into that really opened up my love for designing. I would think about how would I change this card kind of stuff would I design. And I kind of started out my love of design there. Then around 2021, when COVID came out, uh, obviously it disrupted my life uh, pretty heavily, like a lot of people. And it also created a lot of opportunities for me. And I had the opportunity to sort of get into the gaming world. And I had the time to kind of explore that. So Mm -hmm. I I started designing my own card game, learning everything, just absorbing, just sponging everything I could from the gaming community, which evolved so heavily during that time. So it really was a cool thing to experience. And I got pretty far into developing my own card game. And I reached out to Matt, uh, somebody who I knew through the card game world. And uh, I wanted him to play test the game for me. Shortly after that, because he knew I was into designing, I talked to him about it. Uh, Matt approached me uh, because he wanted to get into design as well. So Mm -hmm. he had an idea for a game that we started working on. And it was pretty cool. We found out really quickly that we really covered each other's weaknesses with our strengths. And it was a really good, really reciprocal relationship that we were building. Out of the blue somewhere, uh, Matt just had this idea for a new game. And that idea spawned into what is Kyperium now. Everything just fit into place. And both of our other games got put on the wayside and we focused all our attention on this one. And that's how we got to here. So does that mean we possibly have two other games in your design right now that might be on the horizon? You know, I would say when it comes to other games in design on the horizon, that that number is infinite. There's always more games, <laughs> and there's always stuff to come back to. That's true. Uh, but yeah, you can 100% uh, think that you've got ideas on the horizon. Was the original card game that brought you two together, was it Magic the Gathering? It was actually... What? Called, oh, uh, shit, you could have said No! It was a game called Star Wars Destiny. Uh, I don't oh. know if you know it. It's a little bit smaller. It had its, it had its run there in mm-hmm. the late 2000 teens. Actually, what brought us together is I played Matt at the final table of a regional event, uh, and he beat me very handily. And then a few weeks later was the national tournament, and I ended up winning the national tournament. And Matt knew me and asked me to be on his podcast that he was running for Star Wars Destiny at the time, and that's and that's where it all happened. So you're the national tournament winner. What year? For Star Wars Destiny, I believe it would have been 2019. You know, there wasn't uh, a huge competitive scene, but I, t- I took it really seriously. So that was a big accomplish- accomplishment for me was winning that tournament. Dude, any game that's amazing. And that game was hot. That was a big game for a long time. Well done. Thank you. Matt, I'm going to give you a turn. I see you got a, you got a, a jealous look, like you should have beat him in that tournament. He's grinning over there. Matt, tell us the origin story. How'd you get into gaming? 
Um, I've always been into gaming my whole life. Uh, I discovered hobby gaming probably in like 2016, 27, like relatively recently. Um, Is there a particular game that sucked you in? You know, to be honest, probably Star Wars Destiny and and Star Wars X-Wing um, are the ones that got me from the, like, I guess, mass market casual games mm-hmm. that I was enjoying at the time um, that got me a little bit more serious into gaming. Yeah, so Destiny is the, the first one that really grabbed me and threw me into, like, you know, the, the rabbit hole and the financial rabbit hole, too. Um, <laughs> no but, kidding. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, fell in love with that game. And then when, when it died, sadly, I just got even further into hobby gaming and that kind of filled the void. And I started up, you know, board game collection. I started to play that way more heavily. And that's when I started to get like some minor ideas about, oh, this game would be cool if it had this kind of mechanism or that would be neat if I could do this. And mm-hmm. I remember vividly playing Raiders of the North Sea. And I, you know, that game is very much about like gathering all your resources, setting things up, and then you go and you raid, right? And mm-hmm. then like you, you use all your resources to raid. So then you got to go and gather and hire and figure things out. And I thought it would be really cool if there was like a heist game that, um, did the same thing and felt like a, like a heist movie, but instead of like gather, raid gather raid it's just like you're gathering and figuring things out and setting things up for like 80 percent of the movie quote unquote or game mm-hmm. um and then you spend the last 20 percent, which is the big climax of the movie game you know executing um so that was my original idea and um you know we started working on that a little bit with steve's help yeah, I, uh, I listening to board game design podcasts and reading board game design books. A lot of the advice you got starting out was don't start big. Um, start with a smaller card game or start with something smaller, a little bit more simple because it's just like a huge undertaking. And especially if you plan on self publishing and going to like Kickstarter or GameFound or crowdfunding. If you make a small mistake on a smaller card game or whatever, it's it's a lot less likely to cost you um, in a big way. And, um, you know, where you can make a, a small mistake on a huge game that could cost you a lot Much more. bigger consequences, yeah. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, you know, I started flirting with the idea of a smaller card game. And that's when the, like, seed of the idea, when I messaged Steve that that one night to say, like, I've got an idea for a little card game. Maybe we could, like hammer something out quick and, you know, cut our teeth that way before we really dive into these bigger games. So that was the idea of Kyperium. And that one idea, you know, was just like, I have a tableau of cards, you have a tableau of cards. We're each doing our thing on our own side, but every card you play has a worker placement that only your opponent can use. So that was the only, that was the seed and there was nothing else. There was no theme. That was the original was no- idea. And then things like the worker placement came after. The space theme came after. I'm guessing the powers came after that you can flip up as you as you progress through the nice. Exactly. Okay, yeah. yeah so yeah. everything Start else small. came after. It was just that that thing of like I play my workers on your cards and you you're using your cards trying to set up whatever it is you're trying to set up. I didn't know at the time. So like the recalling, like, you know, everything else, the the discovery track, everything else was 
didn't exist at that time. So yeah, we, we just kind of started really small and started figuring things out. And it uh, very, very quickly grabbed both of us. Uh, as Steve said, it kind of shoved our other games aside. And uh, just like, you know, when you get obsessed with something and I want to say like probably within like six weeks, we were probably like 70, 75% of the way to where the game is now, mechanically, anyways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you agree with that, Steve. 100%, Matt, yeah. And I can kind of see where that design process came from. Like, uh, just hearing your guys' backstories, you're uh, into a two-player battler game. You're into, like, what seems like space with, like, Star Wars. And so maybe, like, it's just from the back, even though those ideas came after the mechanics came, it seems like those ideas might have originated from your, your, your love of like a two player things, star, uh, like space battles. So I'm assuming based on everything that you said that your favorite game currently is Star Wars Destiny. Uh, it's hard to say now because I haven't played in probably whatever it is, three years because it kind of died. And the whole thing that grabs you and pulls you into that kind of style of game is the, the competitive scene and like, grinding out and, and testing and like that's what I love about that style of game and it doesn't quite exist the way that it did before and so I kind of just fell to the wayside for me but like you know it definitely is one of my all-time favorite games even though I haven't played in in a little while there's something to be said about that though when I stopped uh, playing tournament magic it I just stopped playing magic altogether. If I couldn't play in a tournament and there weren't any stakes involved, it's like, well, what's the point? What am I doing here? <laughs> it, it's so funny because same thing with that with Destiny. It's once you lose the the skin in the game and the stakes and the you know, prize support. Oh, what am I doing? Yeah, hundred percent. All right, guys. Well, uh, you have been telling us that it's been eighty percent done pretty quickly. So we're not going to jump into the mechanisms because of what you said right there. It seems like this game has been actually ready for a while. I at least noticed that the game was ready for at least two years because I've seen a lot of cosmetic questions about the looks of the game asked in like a yeah. poll fashion on, you know, the Facebook forums and things. Mm -hmm. I even remember answering one. There was a question about how the title should look, and there was like a pencil thin version of the title, and then there was like a, a thicker, bolder version so that people could actually see the word Kyperium. And I definitely picked that second one. And that was a subtle dig. I caught that. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems to be uh, the version that we see on the box today, which is great. However, uh, I do have a question: How important was it to get the cosmetic opinions of other gamers and? Did you mostly take their opinions or did you stick with like an idea that you had originally instead of taking theirs? Basically, how was the refinement process for the game after you had the mechanics down? Yeah, like, like I, like I always say, like the first 80% is pretty easy. The second 80% is really tough. The cosmetic and, and visual side of things is something that just takes some time, you know, no matter what. It's something that you go back and forth with the artists and the graphic designer and it slowly gets hashed out. It's the playtesting and balancing of the cards and that side of things that, that really takes a long time to kind of fine tune and get right. Um, mm -hmm. especially the discovery track was the thing that like was the bane of our existence for a long time. We just couldn't figure out how to make that work properly. Like we knew the main mechanisms of the workers and the cards and, uh, but we're like, how do, like, what is the point? What are we trying to achieve in this game? Mm -hmm. Is it like, do we just have like, 
are we just gathering points um, and then first one to X amount of points? Or is there another game and trigger and then whoever has the most points wins? Or like we just did, we weren't sure about that. And that we had kind of so many different iterations of that uh, discovery track. And it took that, that was probably the thing that took the longest to develop and get right. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Steve. Yeah, in terms of uh, taking advice from other people, you know, we play tested the game so much and got so many different opinions and really learned that you have to really parse through that information and really understand the information that's coming to you, where where it's coming from, and having, you know, their kind of predispositions. You know, people who don't like two-player games, people who don't like take that games are going to look at it differently than somebody else who loves it. Uh, mm-hmm. Other game designers especially... Uh, can be uh, hypercritical in super in certain areas, and you really need to take that in consideration. A lot of people have their predispositions towards certain things, so they'll they'll tell you, you know, this is what you should do, but they really don't have the full context. So we try to take all the information in that we can, um, but mm-hmm. we're really really very conservative about applying that information unless we agree with it. Um, that makes sense, of course. That being said, we do test uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, that's one of the, my favorite parts about game design is like just coming up with these cool ideas and being like, all right, let's, let's test this at a power level 10 and just see what happens. And uh, lots of cool stuff can come out of there. In terms of the graphic design and artwork and theme of the game, that's something that sort of evolved over time. We knew pretty quickly that the space theme was going to be it for this game. But as far as all of the art and detail, that is something that evolved. And one process that we found very effective for us is we worked with a bunch of different artists. And rather than just, you know, getting one person to do the art and do the design and do all that, we really tried to focus our efforts into really searching out specialists and people that were really good at at one thing. And, you know, so one person in particular did our discovery track for us and did the majority of our icons, whereas another person did... Uh, the box cart, uh, the box arts, and that major layout there. Uh, we had another person work on the graphic design, another team working on the rules, and we found that uh, really diversifying, you know, our network and and who who had a hand into the process gave us a much broader perspective about how to handle things. <laughs> okay, guys. So, spoiler alert: I really love this game, and I gotta know. I gotta know. I love what I'm seeing so far. I know a Kickstarter is launching soon. If I'm not mistaken, it's February 20th. Is that correct? That's right, yep. All right. If that's the case, then that's going to launch about four days after this episode airs. So keep that in your schedules. But I need to know, what can we expect when we check out that Kickstarter? Like, is there any cool components we should be looking forward to? Some add-ons that you might be adding? Uh, any expansions? Anything along those lines? we got to have some Let's answers. be honest, Ryan. We've been playing this on TTS for, what, two months now? And it's just uh, about, yeah. You get an idea of what it's going to look like, but we don't know. Have you guys played in the last, I want to say, like, three we weeks? We played two days in, ago. In preparation okay. for okay. this, yes. Awesome. So you guys did see a lot of the new components, the new board, the new discovery track, right? Yeah, we tried to load the old board that we had over summer, and uh, it wouldn't load. It just defaulted back to the new, and we we're like, they're not going to let us see the junky version. No, but way. I, I, I did see, I did see that there was a video that posted about six months ago about someone else playing it, and I compared it, and man, there was quite a lot of changes. When we first opened it up on TTS one more time, I was like, is this the same game? Wow. <laughs> 
like it plays obviously, you know, pretty much exactly the same. Um, mm-hmm. but we did, we did, um, do a pretty huge overhaul visually in the last, I want to say six weeks or so. Yeah. So uh, what you saw there on the mod is, is basically what you're getting. Uh, we've got some great little meeples, like robot meeples. We've got a great little spaceship meeple, which is new. I'm sure you guys noticed that on the, uh, on the discovery track. Yeah. Like we're really happy with the way all that's looking. Um, we, we, uh, simplified the, the main board, um, and where you can place your starter, like the starter board, I guess is what, what we, what we would call it to make it a little bit easier to, to make out what's there. And yeah, it wasn't that four-card grid anymore. It was yeah. the long slot with the three underneath. Yeah, so the idea there was just to kind of uh, like make the board less busy. There's lots going on on the cards already. Yeah. I mean, once the cards are on the table, there isn't that much you need to – that is important. Like you're just looking at the corners and the icons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a lot more information there that, you know, if you don't know the game, it just looks like very busy. So we wanted to kind of make that starter board less busy. So all that to say, what you, what you get there in the mod is what it's going to be. You've got a starter board. You've got two player boards. You've got the discovery track, two spaceship meeples, one purple, one orange, six workers, right? Three purple, three orange. Um, and then in terms of like stretch goals and, and that kind of thing, we didn't go with any like monetary stretch goals or add-ons. Uh, what we did instead was social goals. So for shares and Facebook shares, that kind of thing. Very um, true. yeah. So, and we totally expect to hit all of those and we want the community to get like really involved and, and help kind of push for that stuff. Um, so what's going to happen is that we're in all likelihood going to have a unique robot meeple for purple versus orange. And a unique spaceship meeple for purple versus orange, assuming mm-hmm. we hit these goals. So that is the, that is what we're, we're kind of aiming for. We're trying to pack all of the value into the base box. So the best value is going to be the base version of the game. And mm-hmm. we're tying in all those upgrades to our social goals. So it's going to be the same cost. But if we can hit our social goals, everybody is going to get a much better upgraded version of the game. In addition to that, we have a couple of plans for people that want to support the project, want to be a bit more involved in the creative process of the game and really get their name in there as a founder. So we've got a founder level planned and we have a salvation level planned uh, that we hope will appeal to people who are really hardcore about our game. Sign me up. (laughs) Share this with everybody that you know. Let them know about this game. Go check it out in Tabletop Simulator. This is a really good game. And, uh, you know, with these stretch goals unlocked, we'll be able to see what what cool features that they're adding to it. All right, Matt, Steve, you guys are busy. You got this Kickstarter coming up February 20th. We don't want to keep it too long, but you don't come on the Level Up Board Game Podcast without getting a chance to you, yourself, level up. Sounds like fun. All right, guys, here's the deal. Without knowing what's going on, who wants to go first, Matt or Steve? Steve, you be the guinea pig. (laughs) (laughs) Steve, Matt volunteered you. Ryan, I need you to fill in for the king. Can you handle the stopwatch? Oh, yes. Oh, I can do that. Yes, I'm, I'm ready. I am ready. So, Steve, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you eight questions, right? You're on the clock. I want the first answer that comes to mind. We're going to get to know you. You ready? Ready. Give us a countdown, Ryan. All right. Three, two, one, and go. If I cast a Shivan Dragon, what game am I playing? Magic the Gathering. On a scale of one to ten, rate Twilight Imperium. Four. Oh, what's your favorite? Oh, what's your what's your favorite TV show ever? Uh, Saved by the Bell. 
In a board game, what color do you prefer to play? Green. I have a year-old McDonald's cheeseburger. For 5,000 bucks, would you eat it? No. In a fight against small children, how many could you defend yourself against? I feel like nine. <laughs> Let's keep it at single digits. Nine. <laughs> In the movie Tremors, what name was given to the underground creatures? Oh, man. I, I totally forget. Sandworms? Given one hour to do so, could you drink a gallon of milk? Uh, this one, I would do this before the burger, for sure. I'll, tr- I'll drink the milk for one hour. <laughs> and that's time. Hey, that's exactly one minute, guys. Well done. Well done, Steve. I think, you know what? He's quick. Saved by the bell. Bonus points. Are there graboids and tremors? You remember? Graboids. Oh, the graboids. Yeah. Oh, how about that Twilight <laughs> Imperium rank? Movies, but I haven't watched it in a long time. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Love that movie. Well, Matt, that means you're on the spot. Eight am questions, I, am I lightning asking, round. Am I the same questions? No. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what fun uh, would there t- be in that? So that we know, what would you rate Twilight Imperium, Matt? Eight hours. I, I have, ne- I have never would rate it in hours. <laughs> I would rate it in hours. I have, I've never played it, but I'd have no intentions of playing an eight-hour game. The correct right, answer yeah. to that That's question so- is yes. By the way, <laughs> let me just say that I rated it a four because I've never played it, and the only thing I know about it is most people think it's too long. Oh no! Long game. No. <laughs> I'd rather play like three awesome games. That's a fair response. I, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm down for eight hours of gaming. Just not eight hours of the same game. Well, Matt, you're on the spot. Ryan, you got the clock. Give us the countdown. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, and go. Besides Kyperium, what's your favorite board game? Right now, Dune Imperium. In a game of Kyperium, what color cards do you like the most? Silver. Can you slam dunk a basketball? No, I'm like five <laughs> foot six and 250 pounds. <laughs> Name a game with production that you're seriously impressed with. Uh, lately I'm going to go with, uh, Wonderland's War. As you, like, if you're seeing me on camera, it's right above my head and it looks incredible. We're hearing you on audio and we can all hear it right behind you. If I'm watching a movie featuring a character named Andy Dufresne, what movie am I watching? Shawshank Redemption. Boom! If you cross the streams of a particular movie weapon, it can cause complete protonic reversal. Quote, try to imagine all life as you know, stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. What is it that you cannot cross? You cannot cross the streams in Ghostbusters. Matt! You two versus me and Ryan. Tag team, no holds barred match at Origins. Who would win? Like in a physical fight? Uh Uh-huh. (laughs) <laughs> I, i'm a lover not a fighter you, you you're two against one you guys probably take me out all right seriously last question if you could have chosen any co-designer who would you have picked steve castle oh my man ryan what do you think i think they earned it today i do so i mean like i don't know what that four rank for twilight imperium but you know matt, <laughs> matt brought it back home yeah, we'll give him a pass on that. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. But before we let you go, we want to give you a chance to tell uh, Adventures. Now, obviously, the Kickstarter's up in four days. Give it a look there. But I say I want to see a little bit behind the scenes. we got a BGG page. you got a website. Tell us where we can find out more about the game and the guys behind it. Yeah, so the best thing to do is, yes, you can go on BGG. There's not a ton yet there because most of that is user inputted. But the best place to go is uh, just our, on our landing page, since we're not quite live on Kickstarter yet. Uh, go to dragoneggames.com slash Kyperium. So again, dragoneggames.com slash Kyperium. 
and uh, Kyperium is spelled K-U-I-P-E-R-I-U-M. And of course, and it's I'm in sure the show notes if anyone yeah, gets confused. Notes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, thank you very much, Matt and Steve, for coming onto the show. Uh, we understand that you're going to be at Breakout Con in Toronto. We're looking forward to that. Anything else you want to add before we go? Yeah, we'll be at Breakout Con. We're getting a booth there, and uh, we hope to meet lots of people. Thanks for having us, guys. Ryan, I tell you, when we started doing this, our first designer interview was actually the guys from Doomlings, who they actually they have an expansion coming out. We uh, had some audio uh, in oh, our nice. last episode. Yeah, they, they've got an expansion for Doomlings coming out. But I remember feeling like, man, this is cool. Like we're we're really doing something behind the scenes and meeting these people. Now you're you're a gamer, and I know you've like you got Rodney's signature on your hat. You've spoken with designers before, but gotta admit that's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. I, I definitely enjoy it, especially going to conventions and seeing the games that these designers have and saying, Oh, this is a really good game. I want, uh, is the designer here? Yeah. You're talking to them. It's, it's really nice to, you know, get into the heads of how they develop the game and like mm-hmm. why the game is so great is because of, you know, what the designers think of. So I'm looking forward to more of these and, you know, Matt and Steve were great and, uh, I love talking with them and, yeah, go go get Kyperium whenever it comes out. Kickstarter, four days. Yeah, Kickstarter, February 20th, Kyperium, K-U-I-P-E-R-I-U-M. Link in the show notes to the publisher website. Uh, if you like what you heard, give that one a look. I, I'm telling you what, I will have this game. And I will be over to play it. Adventures, keep your eyes open. February 20th, Kyperium comes to Kickstarter. If you missed us last week, we were talking all about Obsession, which was a newfound favorite. Man, I've been playing the heck out of that thing on Board Game Arena. Next week, we hope you join King Scott and I. It's going to be just the two of us. We're going to be talking a little lacrimosa. Ryan, thanks so much for joining me for this side quest. I hope to get you in a regular episode in the very near future. I am always happy to be here. And thank you so much, Patrick, and to Steve and Matt. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.